my job. Well, hello. Welcome to the Vine Campus of New Day Community Church. I am Pastor Anthony, as Shamrock said. And we are in a series called Journey to Easter. Because we're leading up to Easter. Very deep, but wanted to explain the background of the series. There. No, we're actually going through six different things we want to highlight to just really sit in and meditate on different revelations of, of the Holy Week, of Jesus himself, and what it means to, to walk towards the cross. You know, it's one of the most, it is the most dramatic part of Jesus' ministry in life, no doubt for him personally, as well as in the Bible. So we want to think as a church together about some things. And we do have a life group that meets on Wednesday night here at 6.30 and we get together and we talk over the sermon and we, we kind of make it more real and we get to know each other. That's to build community. Don't feel like you can't come if you didn't come last week. It's awesome and it's still open. So 6.30 here. All right. Today's journey to Easter topic is notice. Notice. And that is not a very spiritual first slide, but it will come into play, I promise. We're going to talk about noticing Jesus in one very specific way throughout this message. And the lead character of this message actually ironically is not going to be Jesus, but John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And in John chapter 1, yes, John was not written by John the Baptist. John was actually written by the Apostle John. FYI, that could be confusing. You didn't know that already. So. The Apostle John, writing about John the Baptist, gives him a job description this way. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Very good. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that light being Jesus, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John 1, 6-8. So let's talk about one interesting instance when the leaders in Jerusalem sent people to interrogate, interrogate John to find out what he was all about. And here it is. This is the story of John in John 1, 19-37. So lots of verses. I promise to breathe. Here we go. <laughs> now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites, bigwigs, to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Okay, pause. So obviously what was the first question that these religious bigwigs had for him? Exactly. You, weirdo, baptizing people out in the wilderness, making all the big scene and the fuss. Are you the Messiah? Do you think you're the Messiah? And he's like, no, I'm not the Messiah. But apparently then he didn't volunteer any more information, so they had to keep going. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, nope, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? They were looking forward to a Messiah, a prophet. They weren't sure if it was going to be one person, several people. They weren't really sure what they were looking for, but they knew they were looking for someone. And John just said, I'm not that guy. They were like, then where do you get off doing all this Messiah-ish stuff? And John said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me, and he has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So they leave John, and they follow Jesus. And John felt that was very appropriate. So, lots of noticing, lots of not noticing. Did you guys notice that John's whole job description was just pointing out Jesus, like getting people ready to notice Jesus. And when Jesus shows up saying, look over there, it's, it's the Messiah, it's the chosen one. Why do we need someone to have a job description only to point the direction? Why does it need to be so blatant and blunt? Well... I will illustrate with a story from my own life this week. <laughs> I was out, you know, prayed for us. We're actually thinking about buying a house. And Dave says, yeah, it's about time. So it's yeah. this way. But uh, in the meantime, looking for apartments just in case. And I was going in to ask about living at this apartment short term. And I prayed in the car. I said, God, I don't have the energy or the time to waste. I don't want this to be mysterious. Just be blunt with me. I want to walk in there and know yes or no. What is your will? I don't want to have to search for it. So I get out of the car, I walk in, there's two ladies talking in the office, and they say, how can we help you? And I said, well, I just need to know who I can talk to. And they said, about what? And I said, I might need a place to live for a couple months until we buy a house. And the lady said, well, that's not this place. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so I went back to the car. I did not realize that that was an answer to my prayer. In the two minutes it took me to walk in, I had already lost sight. Of, of that. I was driving away and I was like, oh my gosh, you did it! Like, it was completely gone. It was amazing. Like, it was right in front of me. It was what I asked for. It could not have been more clear. I did not notice. I did not notice. Would have needed a John the Baptist in the passenger seat to say, look, you prayed, and there I was. We need things pointed out for us sometimes. So let's talk about some different things related to looking and noticing. Number one, it's imperative. Literally. When John says, look, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look. That word is actually a second person singular imperative active of Edo, Greek 1492. Anthony, why did you put that in there? You're never so pretentious as to put Greek stuff. Well, I'll tell you. Because I'm finally actually taking Greek, man. It's been years. And I, I just thought I'd throw it in there. You know, I'm not an expert yet, but I've been waiting for this for like three years. I actually not feel bad. It's not really important. What is important is that that's an order. It's an imperative. He's not saying you might want to notice. It's a good idea to look over there. He's actually saying, guys, over there, the one we've been waiting for. Look. You need to look. This word, when it's used at the beginning of a sentence, this is from blueletterbible.com, which I love. It is used as the utterance of one who wishes that something should not be neglected by another. So John isn't just saying, look, he's saying, look, 
the Lamb of God. Look, he's right over there. Really notice this. Get this. And the Bible has this funny thing where it's always speaking to us. A lot of people think they don't really hear from God. But if you have a Bible, you can hear from God. Right. Because it's God's Word. Amen. It was God's Word then to them, and it's God's Word now to us. We just need to figure out how to apply it. But I want to submit to you today that this is not changing one iota in 2,000 years. The Bible is saying to us right now this evening, look at the Lamb of God. That's what we're going to try to look at for the rest of this message. Number two, we need to look with the right eyes. What do you mean by that, Pastor Anthony? Oh, of course we're going to unpack it. That's why I have these weird, ambiguous headers that I love so much. Check it out. This is earlier in John 1. We didn't read this part, but this comes right before the story of John the Baptist. John says this about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The author is trying to point out how ridiculous it is that the maker of heaven and earth shows up on earth, and people don't don't even see him. It's like it's not a big deal. This is reiterated when John finally answers the religious leaders. They're like, what do you say about yourself? And he gives a short answer, and then he gives this P.S. He gives this, by the way, you're so concerned about finding the Messiah, guys, you're, you're paranoid about it, and among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He's teasing him a little bit. He's like, no, it's not me. But I've got some news. He's, he is here. And you see him, but you just don't see him. You're not looking with the right eyes, guys. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They obviously are trying to figure out John. They're obviously looking. They want to find the Messiah. This is, they're not not noticing because they're not trying. Does that make sense? They are really scrutinizing, man. And they are insistent. Give us an answer. Don't just tell us who you're not. Who are you? We're trying to figure this thing out. We've been looking for the Messiah for a couple generations now. We're desperate. But they aren't looking right. They aren't looking correctly. Although it's not for lack of trying. One you do not know stands among you. This word for know, and this is important Greek. This isn't just for fun. This word can be translated recognize. So he's literally saying, you're just... He's there. You just don't see him. You see him every day, but you don't recognize him. And why is that? Well, we could say because they're, I don't know, we could go ahead and stereotype him as the, the highfalutin religious type. We could say nasty things about him. Maybe they weren't sincere. But before we do that, I want to point something out. John himself says twice, I myself did not know him. And it's the same word. I myself didn't recognize him. So we can't really come down hard on the, on the Pharisees unless we're going to come down hard on John too. And the fact of the matter is, there's a big difference when you look at the two people. Skeptical hippo <laughs> is skeptical. <laughs> Sometimes when we're looking for, we're looking for the right analogy, and it's like the Holy Spirit descends on your the computer. There it is. Skeptical hippo is going to represent our Pharisees and religious leaders. Okay? Because they're desperate to see. They're really looking. But how are they looking? How are they looking? 
And with what eyes are they using? Because if you look with eyes like that, it doesn't matter how many questions you ask, Jesus describes people that look this way as looking and not seeing. They look and look and they don't see. You know, there's a way of asking questions that you really don't even want the answer. You ever run into combative people? They don't want to argue with you, but it doesn't yep. matter what you said, you're going to end up wrong and stupid. Yep. <laughs> like it's a foregone conclusion to them because of the way they're looking. This is no way to notice Jesus. This is no way to notice the Messiah at all. You have to look with different eyes. When John says, I myself did not know him, both times he follows it up with what word? But. But. I didn't recognize him either, guys. But I saw the Spirit come down from heaven. I did not recognize him either, guys. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John calls this re revelation of Jesus' character seeing. He says, I didn't know, but he told me. Therefore, I can say, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. These are the eyes you have to look through if you want to actually notice Jesus. And the irony here is that God has to open them because Paul calls them the eyes of the heart. In his opening chapter to Ephesians, Paul prays this over the church. He's praying this to Christians, but it's no less true of non-Christians. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and the holy people too small to read and his incomparably great power <laughs> for us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know. Guys, these are the eyes you must look with to mm. notice Jesus. Amen. There are many scholars, there are many authors, there are many very smart people that spend their lives researching and writing about Jesus that do not know him and have never really seen him. Amen. Because skeptical hippo is just skeptical. <laughs> but I would pray that for all of us here in this room, our eyes, the eyes of our heart, will be more and more open, so that the one who sent him can reveal to us who he really is. Does that sound good? Yes. Do you want that? I'm just going to pray real quick right now. Mm -hmm. Father, we need you to open up the eyes of our heart to really know you. God, the first act of grace and mercy is yours. Take the first move, Lord God. We ask you to open up our hearts, open up our minds. Let us drop the skepticism. Let us drop looking for you or trying to notice you any other way other than humbly asking that the eyes of our heart be opened so that we can see and know. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Let's move on. These are the eyes we need to look with. Asking questions is good as long as it comes from here. All right, last one. Once you realize that you need to look, it's imperative. Once you're looking with the right eyes, it helps to have a good idea of what you're looking for. Know what you're looking for. A lot of us, you almost don't even have to be a Christian to have experiences where you're like, man, I really, I felt like I might have noticed God in that situation. You know, even before we're Christian, sometimes we have transcendent moments. You know, I don't know another, another way to say it. They're almost mystical experiences where we're drawn into something greater than ourselves. And some people find it easy to have those experiences 
when they see something that is just absolutely powerful. Powerful. You know, that's not Photoshop. That's actually a volcano erupting, I think, in Peru or somewhere. But my goodness, could you be there in that city looking at that, hearing that, and not have thoughts of, like, divine power and authority? Would your mind not naturally turn to the God in the Bible that descended on a mountain in fire and shook it? God does that. So when we see things like that, and we're struck and we think, whoa, I'm seeing a little bit of God in this moment. You're right. You are. But that's not what we want to notice in the Easter season. Some people, they naturally are inclined to think thoughts about God in moments of serene beauty. So, again, not wrong. The God who had the still pool in his mind also invented the sunrise and the sunset. You know, when you see a beautiful foggy scene in the woods and your mind turned to God, turns to God, that's not wrong. You are seeing something of the divine character in those moments. So, good for you if you're in tune enough to be moved by that. But that is not either what we're looking for in the Easter season. That's not really what we want to notice. Also, works of art. People can make amazing things. This is Michelangelo's La Pieta. And Michelangelo said one time that if there's anything wrong with it, it's too beautiful for the subject matter. It's astounding. And some people see works of art like this, or a Rembrandt painting, and they think, my gosh, there's a divine spark that fueled this. And they're right, because you can look in the Bible and you see instances of God putting a spirit on people to make beautiful art. But that is not the kind of noticing that we're talking about either in the Easter season. The kind of noticing I want to talk about now is <laughs> much less spectacular. Represented by this sheep. And also represented by John as a sheep. What is a sheep? What was a sheep back in the day? Well, obviously, John called God a sheep. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, for some reason, they thought it was a good idea at that remark to follow Jesus. What did they know about sheep that we don't? Well, honestly, not much. Sheep were common, dirty, unspectacular, and humble. Common, dirty, unspectacular, and humble. People that took care of sheep, not that popular. Kind of the bottom of the totem pole. Sheep, I mean, nobody would say, let's go out and pet the sheep. I mean, they were just things you used usually as sacrifices. In the Old Testament, you can look in, in Exodus 29, 38-42, and it will tell you how they offered a sacrifice of a sheep in the morning and a sacrifice of a sheep at night. Pretty routine, actually. It was to take away sin. And in Isaiah 53, 7, you see that the Savior, the, the Messiah, again, they didn't know if that was going to be God or not, but this Messiah is, you know, pictured as a lamb, as a sheep, who is going to come and deliver Israel. This is probably what John's disciples heard when he said, look, the Lamb of God. They're like, oh... We know our Old Testament pretty well. He's trying to tell us this might be the Messiah. But all that to say, when you compare it to the volcano and the misty mountain morning and, and Michelangelo's work, do we expect to see God like this? Would you ever in a million years expect to see the God of the universe common, dirty, unspectacular, and humble? But can you tell me that a carpenter in a small town 2,000 years ago wouldn't have been exactly that with a side of stinky? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He became a man, like a real man, not a man that levitated two inches above the ground. He was really here for over three decades with zits and everything. <laughs> I wouldn't notice that. 
John the Baptist's job was to point out the one that was coming, and he didn't notice it either without the eyes of his heart being enlightened. It was too normal. It was too humble. And yet we better learn to notice God like this because it's at the core of who he is. Jesus told some people, if you want to follow me, if you want to live life like me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That would have been striking, repugnant, shocking to the people that heard him. And he went on, and he gave us an idea of what that would look like in everyday life. No, don't necessarily just go grab a big, heavy wooden beam, but every day do this. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God shakes mountains. Yes, he literally. God created amazing beauty and gave people the ability to create amazing beauty. Yes? But God, at his very core, says this about who he is. Follow my teachings and learn from me. I am gentle and do not have pride. You will have rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty nine. This is the God we want to notice. And in the Easter season, I want to draw our attention to this fact about God's character. Look for the ways in which the cross is revealed in everyday life. Look for how you can show the cross to others. Look for how God is showing it to you. Look for the wonderful, beautiful, common, humble, and unspectacular of God himself. Let your eyes become attuned to it, because I'll promise you something. When you ingrain this in your heart and mind, this is what God's character looks like. This is what I need to look for. You will naturally be drawn to search for it on every single slide of this presentation. <laughs> Just like I set you guys up with Waldo. You're going to be searching for it everywhere in your life. You're going to be going up and down. Is it hiding in the O? Is it on top of the sheep's ear? Who knows where it is? But you will be looking for the character of God. I want to invite you guys to do that. Because when we tune our eyes to look for this, we will find it in some pretty amazing ways. In God and in each other. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.